0: You talk about happiness in your book and you share three secrets to happiness and you can share all three or you can send the audience to your book and share one or two. But what are the secrets to happiness, Adam?
1: And one of the, one of the three, see, I'm happy to go through all of them, but one of the three keys is secret number two is be happy first. And the the idea is that we often think that like happiness comes at the end. So we work hard, we achieve some kind of success and then- we become happy or we study hard and then we get a good job and then we become happy or we work overtime, we get a promotion and then we be happy. So, if you, if you be happy first, then that leads to doing great work, which then leads to achieving that success. Um, so, rather than going, you know, great work, big success, happiness, you go happiness leads to great work, which leads to big success. I love that one.
0: What are the other two? Welcome to Talking Billions. We talk about big ideas, big inspirations, big topics. We take on the hardest subject of all, money, how to make it, save it, keep it. But our conversations lead us to an even bigger question, what it means to live a rich life beyond money. My guests share their practices, principles, and evergreen wisdom. I'm your host, Bogumil Baranowski, author, TEDx speaker, investor, and a founding partner of Seacard Associates, a boutique investment firm founded in New York City. Join me on this quest to unearth the wisdom of the ages. Hello, dear listener. If you're listening to this, it means that I decided to release two episodes per week for a period of time. In June, I had a record number of recordings. I recorded within two weeks as many conversations as I've recorded in the previous four or five months. And I decided to speed up the releases. And that's why you're getting two episodes per week. Enjoy, save them, cherish them. And when I catch up eventually with my queue, we'll go back to weekly releases. Thank you so much. If you're curious to hear more, don't forget to subscribe to my Substack. It's a treasure trove of articles, podcast episodes and exclusive bonus content. A simple search with my name and you're in. Now, a heartfelt thank you for the wave of appreciation for my recent book, Crisis Investing. It's packed with a hundred pandemic-era essays that are both a reflection of the times and timeless in their wisdom. The book's warm reception has led it to grace the top position in Amazon's new releases. If you haven't yet indulged, I cordially invite you to explore its pages. And if it speaks to you, do consider leaving a cherished review on Amazon and Goodreads. Now with that, let's get started with our episode. I'm delighted to bring you today's guest, the insightful Adam Ashton. If you have a thirst for knowledge, you're in for a treat. Adam is one half of the amazing team behind What You Will Learn, Australia's top book podcast. Alongside Adam Jones, they've captivated millions with over 400 episodes discussing the books they've read. They've also penned two bestsellers with the second titled Attitude. You'll find links in the notes. My introduction to Adam's podcast was during a peaceful drive in Panama. The engaging talks about books were a perfect match for my love of reading. I listened to episode after episode and found myself adding books to my reading list. Eager to chat about books, I reached out and to my joy, Adam Ashton agreed to join us today. With a diverse background in physiotherapy, economics, finance, and digital marketing, Adam turned to books to seek answers to life's questions. His favorite books have not only broadened his knowledge, but also helped him understand himself and the world. Today, Adam shares his love for reading and how it led him to create What You Will Learn podcast. He believes books are often overlooked treasures that hold simple yet life-changing wisdom. Looking for happiness, Adam shares insights from books that reveal keys to happiness through connections, meaningful work and understanding values. Adam also talks about passion, hard work and staying committed, themes that are common in many books and crucial for success. He delves into different mindsets and explains how they can shape your approach to work and life. Public speaking fans take note, Adam discusses how speaking skills can be highly valuable and even touches upon The fascinating concept of a halo effect We also explore the powerful impact of writing And how it can be a tool for personal growth Adam's advice for all of us is to take action Embrace new opportunities And stay open to learning Speaking with Adam was truly inspiring This episode is packed with gems of wisdom So sit back, relax And please join me in welcoming the wonderful Adam Ashton Alright Hi Adam, hello, how are you? fantastic
1: i'm loving loving your podcast platform i thought after seven years of podcast i'd seen it all but this is a new one for me and i think it's a winner
0: thank you that's very kind (laughs) of you coming from you and you guys have such a hit in the podcasting world and it's evening for you it's morning for me and i think it's it's as far as we can be on this (laughs) small planet of ours
1: just about the exact opposite
0: but the cool thing about podcasting is that there are no boundaries and limits you can pick up the microphone and talk to somebody elsewhere somewhere in, at the other end of the world and then i see listeners around the globe and i'm blown away i think there are like 80 or 90 countries listening to my podcast wow. and i'd love to hear from those people so it's really cool to see it but is listen crazy, isn't it to think about, isn't it i was just telling there was you
1: like all those 80 or 90 different types of people in one room it's But then obviously, just the podcast, you put it out there, you don't really know who's listening, but you can see that someone's listening from all these weird and wonderful countries.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. I was at a conference and I had 2,000 people sitting next to me and listening to a panel. And I was thinking 2,000 people in a room, that's a lot of people. And the podcast audience can be in millions. Can you think Mm. about it? Like Talking to so many people at the same time, it's pretty remarkable. And that's what you guys are doing with your podcast, and I'll ask you about it in a second, and two great books. But before that, if you don't mind, I like to start my conversations and talk about childhood and upbringing. And you have some stories to share. Tell me more about how you ended up on this path to reading, learning, sharing, and hosting Australia's number one book podcast. Called what you will learn. So you spent three years in Papua New Guinea in a different school environment and so much more. Share as much as you want.
1: Yeah. So I I suppose I had a bit of a mixed. Got to taste a whole bunch of different things in my upbringing. I was originally my both my dad's parents and my mom's parents were both farmers. So growing up in a in like a rural town near their near their farm, then moving to the city in Melbourne, and then spending three years in Papua New Guinea, and then coming. Then moving back to Australia. So it was a uh, lots of, yeah, tasted a, a lot of different, a lot of different elements of upbringing, I guess, from obviously rural being a lot more sort of community based, very hardworking, moving to the city, which is probably a, a lot more external metrics of success, I guess, rather than internal, moving overseas, which was a completely different culture, completely different experience, coming back to like, a super competitive academic environment. Yes, had a real mix up mixed bag
0: and at some point you started picking up books and you have a whole collection that i can see behind you
1: yeah absolutely i've got we were saying before we started recording probably almost too many now i gotta almost gotta start culling i think because i'm probably moving house at some point in the next 12 months and i'm dreading packing all these books up and then unpacking them again that might might have to pay someone to move those i reckon (laughs) there's too many
0: they're heavy and you added one more book to your collection because of one of the episodes of MyPod. Absolutely. Is that true?
1: The 12 week year. I having not, it's not a new book, but it's new to me, having uh-huh. only just recently heard about it. So I've picked it up and I look forward to checking it out. That was a great interview you did.
0: Thank you. Yeah. It's a great concept, great idea of just doing more in a shorter period of time. Tell me more about your podcast. 350 books, 400 books, six years, 300 episodes. How did it all come about? That's a massive project that you guys started. Yeah,
1: it was the middle of 2016. So we must be coming up to our seventh anniversary sometime soon. We just started really seven years ago with the plan was myself, Adam Ashton and my co-host Adam John. We've known each other for a few years. we had done a couple of, we tried a couple of projects together and this was We both loved reading. We both loved listening to podcasts. We thought, what else can we try to do next? We'll try and make a podcast of our own. We start reading a book and sharing the biggest lessons that we took from that book. And we said back in, I don't know, June 2016, let's do 10 episodes and see how it goes. And then, yeah, I suppose after six or seven episodes, we just said let's just keep going seven years in who knows and we might it could be we could be done after seven years we could keep going indefinitely i don't know it's there's no real end point to it
0: but it looks like you guys are having fun and it's a real joy to listen to you to talk about books and i told you that i ended up picking up quite a few books because of your podcast so you're making a difference it's dangerous (laughs) So your second book is already a bestseller and it's not even out. And we're talking mid-May. It's coming out very soon. But before we talk about the second book, what's your first book called? And I'm not going to say it. You say it. (laughs) The Shit They Never Taught You. All right, I'll let you repeat it. The Shit They Never Taught You. And how did this book come about?
1: So we, we started with kind of the idea of there's a movie, Limitless, that had Bradley Cooper in it. It was a story of a bloke who was a bit of an ordinary sort of a bloke. He was not much of a hotshot or anything. A bit of a loser. He got dumped by his girlfriend. He wasn't sleeping well. He was a bit of an alcoholic or close to. And then through this weird series of events, he gets hold of this drug, NZT-47. When he pops this pill, like just something like changes inside of him. He says, I was blind, but now I see. He gets home to his apartment and he cleans everything up. Chucks out all the rubbish, tidies up the house with this new superpower that he's got he starts playing the stock market makes a whole bunch of money He goes from this lazy bum to this supercharged genius he he could see what needed to be done exactly how to do it and so we're like what is it we unfortunately probably can't get our hands on a drug exactly like that but we found similar drugs that we were coming across every single week and that was the books that we were reading they could show us new ways of doing things new ideas to make small or big changes in our lives that could really take us from the loser bum on the couch to doing a little bit better in life.
0: Yeah, pretty remarkable. There's a quote in your book that I really like. There are so many. But this one, I'll share with you. Books are the most undervalued commodity on the planet. I love that. But you have to tell me more.
1: I think books are so cheap for, mm. compared to the value that they give. If that's what we're talking about, if you're valuing commodities, what's the price? What do you get out of it? what's the potential future earnings out of that on a like a specific sense for 25 bucks you could buy a book on negotiation and you could get a five grand pay rise and it pays for itself instantly or you could buy a book on that inspires you to change career paths and you can all of a sudden make a 50% jump in your pay rise because you've because you've taken on a whole different path that you didn't think about previously or maybe it's whether it's investing that if you can get half or 1% better each and every year compounded over a lifetime that adds up to a hell of a lot more than $25 that you spent on that book. So, in those like specific, there's going to be heaps and heaps of books that are going to more than pay for themselves, the investment that you put in. But then also in a general sense, just like constantly reading, constantly learning, constantly improving for 25 bucks a hit, it's so cheap. So, we think the, uh, the most undervalued commodity.
0: When you think about it, it's usually a lifetime of experience that somebody shares in a book and it's years... It And everything they learn, mistakes they made, and they share it in 250, 350 pages usually. Mm. And sometimes for a lot less than a 25. That's it. And it's remarkable that you get to pretty much sit down with somebody, an expert in any field you want, and have their full attention for a couple of hours and, and just hear them out and take away something that can change your life. So the return on investment, limitless, just like the story that you just shared. That's pretty remarkable. So there's another golden nugget in your book that I have to share with you. You write, have you ever learned something so simple yet so profound? It made you think, why the hell didn't someone tell me this earlier? So for me, I was going to school and studying economics and political science and business, but I couldn't really see how I can use it in the real world. I wasn't really sure where it's going to take me. And I picked up a book, One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. And it's a small book, simple book that we all should be investors, and we all have a lot of knowledge about businesses out there and He said that stocks are small pieces of businesses and I have to tell you that none of my professors told me such a simple truth. They told me the stock mm-hmm. market is a casino they showed us very complex <laughs> models that really took away from you know took us really far away from what the stocks are. but he said, you get to own small pieces of successful businesses, and after reading that, it's something that you can't and see, I'm Mm. here. And my life took a whole different direction. I ended up on the path that I'm on. I'm curious about your discovery, one simple truth, one profound truth that you found in books that really made a difference in your life, if you don't mind sharing.
1: Yeah. An early one, early sort of in the the reading journey. Book is a pretty well-known book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in that, he talks about the circle of influence versus the circle of concern. And in that, that there's Most people have a very big circle of concern. There's a lot of things that we're worried about. Obviously, we're worried about worried about our jobs, we're worried about our families, we're worried about the environment, we're worried about kids starving on the other side of the world. There's lots of things that we're concerned about and rightly so. But unfortunately, the things that we actually have influence over, our circle of influence is a lot smaller. The things that we can control ourselves or make some kind of positive impact towards is a lot smaller. And so the most effective people are the ones who shrink their circle of concern and expand their circle of influence. You're always going to be concerned about some things outside of your control, but the more you can minimize the the difference between those two, the better.
0: It's very Stoic, isn't it?
1: Very, yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize, until later, reading more Stoicism books, I realized that he just ripped that idea from the Stoics (laughs) 2,000 years earlier. But I thought the first time I read it, I thought he'd come up with this all on his own. It was pretty profound, but he repackaged it pretty well. I think
0: once you're reading books and you get past the 50 or 100, you realize that some ideas start to repeat. Oh, yeah. And we might have to hear them more than once to really embrace them. But it looks like the humanity came up with everything and we know everything. We just might not use it. That's, totally. that's the beauty of, of books. <laughs> you talk about happiness in your book and you share three secrets to happiness. And you can share all three or you can send the audience to your book and share one or two. But what are the secrets to happiness, Adam?
1: Yeah, this is a, the book, The Shit They Never Taught You was, it's 115 chapters grouped into 32 meta lessons across nine different parts. So we've got a, a section on personal finances, we've got a, a section on career development, we've got a section on philosophy, we've got a section on business and entrepreneurship, a section on like science and history and human behavior and psychology and stuff like that. But the section that we started the book with, was a lot of the personal development stuff and specifically like chapter one out of 115 was these three secrets to happiness because we did think it's see, seems easy like everyone wants to be happy but also it's it seems so hard as well it seems sometimes fleeting like people either build it up too much or they're trying too hard or like we just didn't, we just thought it was something that was really important to start this book on as much as there was all those other things people want to learn how to make more money or how to get a better job or how to start a business, we thought that it was important to start with happiness. And one of the, one of the three, see, I'm happy to go through all of them, but one of the three keys is secret number two is be happy first. And the, the idea is that we often think that like happiness comes at the end. So we work hard, we achieve some kind of success, and then we become happy. Or we study hard and then we get a good job and then we become happy. Or we work overtime, we get a promotion and then we be happy. Like in that right. all those scenarios, the happiness is like the third thing, like work some kind of input and then some kind of output and then happiness as a result. But really, that's broken. If we do it that way, we're really just going to be chasing the next thing. So you work overtime, you get a promotion. The third step of be happy. You don't really get to that because then you just go back to step one. You work more to get the next promotion and you're just right. constantly in that cycle of working harder to get that next promotion. So, really, the thing that we, it's backwards is, is have to be happy first. So, if you be happy first, then that leads to doing great work, which then leads to achieving that success. So, rather than going great work, big success, happiness, you go happiness leads to great work, which leads to big success. I love that one.
0: What are the other two?
1: So, one is the remember the lottery is secret number one in that if you think about the odds winning the lottery. The biggest lottery in history was like one and a half billion US dollars. Three hit it at the same time. So they each won 500 million plus dollars, which is pretty life changing. If you think about the odds of that lottery though, whilst it was extremely unlikely, the odds of us even being here are so much less likely. It's like winning the lottery billions of times over. If we think of the math, like firstly, the lottery that planet earth can even exist and support life having just the right mix of elements and temperature and pressure and everything heat everything come together in the exact right formation is just so unlikely then there was also the lottery of being born as a as a human that kind of dominates this planet as opposed to an uh, animal or another species is it, it was a massive lottery to win the lottery of being like born today not centuries ago when there was poor poor medical things or you could get you could step on a little stick and cut your foot open and then there's an infection you die a few days later thankfully we're not born in those times there was another lottery that your great-grandparents got frisky on the right night in the right sort of order that you beat thousands of, or hundreds of thousands of potential brothers and sisters that didn't make it to the egg right in time if you think about all these different lotteries that we've won just to get here like the odds are ridiculously mm-hmm. small so putting that into perspective just realizing like how unlikely it is for any of us individually to be here is is a pretty good reason to be happy I'd say and then the other one is the third bucket uh-huh in that say everybody's got 168 hours in a week 24 hours 7 days we say roughly we're going to try to sleep for a third of that mm-hmm. 8 hours 7 nights a week As a new father, probably maybe a bit less than that, but we'll strive for a third. And then if you think about a third is probably work. If you're working a 40-hour week, plus you got maybe you're traveling back and forth or you got to shower and get ready, or we'll round it up to another 56 hours just to have a nice, neat third of our time, which means we've got a third left over. There's a third bucket. Outside of sleep and work, there's a third of the time to do other things. Now, some people fill that third bucket with more work. Some people work more than 40 hours a week. Some people work really hard and they're filling up that third bucket. But that, there's a choice as well to not do that. You could choose to take up a hobby during that third of the time. You should. You could choose to spend that with friends or family. You could choose to group all those hours together and have a holiday with that third bucket if you structure your time. That you've got to think about not just like the work that you're doing in terms of dollars per year, but also kind of like per hour. There are Some professions that objectively make less per year. You could one profession might be making 120,000 per year, and another makes 60,000 per year. But if you have to work three times as long to get that, if you think about dollars per hour, it probably Mm -hmm. heads in a different direction. And obviously, it's personal preference. If you just want to have two full buckets of work, that's fine. But if you want to have one bucket of work and one bucket of leisure for other things, I think that's a pretty important key to happiness as well.
0: It's interesting because on my podcast, we talk about money, investing, life, but we end up talking about time. And it's really interesting that you can't borrow or save or steal time. You just have what you have and everybody has the same. Doesn't matter how rich or poor, how successful or how much they're struggling. It doesn't really matter. It's the same time and how you use it really matters and makes the biggest difference in our life and pursuit of happiness. And I really like the idea that you shared to be happy first, because I think the word is conditional. If we make happiness conditional, it's a trap Mm. and it's very hard to get there because the more you have or the more you think you have, the more you think you need and it's an endless trap. But if you can be happy first, just with the pursuit, I think that's a wonderful secret to it all. I don't know if you know, more. Morgan Housel, who wrote the psychology mm. of money, you know him. I you know
1: another book. Yeah, yeah. I don't
0: know. I don't know if you guys discussed it on your podcast, but he has some really interesting observations about money. But it's really life philosophy. And one of the Definitely. things he writes is that the first paycheck that you might have received and when your account went from $5 to $500 probably meant more to you than doubling your fortune from 10 to 20 million. And I thought it's really a powerful thought. We work with families with multi-generational wealth and we work with people that just created wealth. So speaking of not just being born, but having wealth that's many times higher than an average Mm -hmm. person, that's a life-changing experience. And then being grateful and feeling responsible for it and making good use of it. I think it's a whole new path for a lot of people. And it's fascinating to watch what it can do and what kind of a difference it can make in people's lives. But I think the word is gratitude, listening to you as thinking, just being grateful. We're here. We get to Mm. enjoy this life. I think that's the word I walked away with. And with gratitude, everything else follows and happiness will slowly slide into your life.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: You write about the importance of connections. And I really like that part of your book. You talk about connections with people, but also with work, with value. Can you talk more about that? Because that's something beyond money and monetary visible things we think matter, but just enjoying the connections with the work we do, with the people that we have in our lives. And I think the last few years, the pandemic time when we felt separated from everybody else we couldn't even go to our workplace Mm. i think connections came up to the surface more than ever staying in touch with people a lot of people refought what they want to do with their lives too so i think connections is it's a big word in our lives
1: yeah absolutely it really did put everything in into perspective i suppose it was a good opportunity to do the thinking like the bigger picture thinking that you always know that you should do but you always put off or you're always too busy or you always find some other excuse to do it. But when we had nothing else to do, we, we had nothing else to do. There's a, There was a study, and it was in 2011. So I'd be curious to know how the numbers had changed now. But in 2011, a study across 142 different countries, and it found that in ter- when it came to work, 13% of people were engaged, in- they were enthusiastic, they committed, to, they committed positively to their organization. And then 63% were not engaged. They were just doing what they had to do, doing the bare minimum, mm. just scraping by. They didn't add a whole lot of energy or passion into their work. And that left 24% that were actively disengaged. So not only were they just <laughs> scraping by or just doing the bare minimum, they were like actively trying to mess shit up. Good. So obviously, unless you were one of the 13%, they knew that means you're in the 87% that didn't really have that strong uh-huh. connection to work. And I suppose time back to the buckets, if on average it's like a third of the time that you spend in your week, like that's a hell of a lot of time. <laughs> to, and to be doing something that you're not fully connected to, something you don't enjoy or something that you're not really contributing to, like putting in the effort to get some kind of reward, external, or internal, like having not being totally connected to what you're doing for a third of the time is obviously going to be a bit of a drain on the psyche. Similarly, connections with other people. We've gone from Living in, you know, tribes of 100 or 150 people where everybody's actively working together over time, that kind of shrinks down to maybe clusters of families or maybe even just a single family household. But they're the like, a, it feels like our neighbors are like further apart than ever. Even if you're in a big city, they're probably physically getting closer to you, but emotionally getting more, more distant. That we just don't have those connections with other people that we used to have growing up as well connections to values as well if over hundreds of years religion a lot bigger part and it's dwindling now that that was one sense of values not that not saying that everybody should be or has to be religious but that was just like that that's a forced way to have those values if you can find some other way to have a strong set of values that you're connected to it gives you like that sort of guiding direction in life as opposed to just meandering through aimlessly. There's all these kind of things that over time we become less and less connected to and it's leading to less and less happiness as
0: well. I really like all those ideas starting from finding something that you really enjoy doing. And I know it's easier said than done, but spending your life, we all compromise at different points in life, of course. And we have to do certain things during our career that maybe we're not the most passionate about. But in the long run, I think the aspiration is to be doing something that you're proud of, you enjoy, you feel connected to. And I think it's speaking of gratitude, it's a big win if you find and it's something that can pay your rent and provide a source of income at the same time. And if it's not, then at least on the side, have something that puts that smile on your face, like the project you guys have that took a life of its (laughs) own with your books that follow that we'll talk about in a second. But it's very important. And then people in your life, I think the pandemic days reminded us that people are really important to us and not being able to talk to them and see them and hug them. I think it made us realize we need all those people in our life. And I think it, it, I hope it brought our focus and attention to what's important. There's another observation in your book that I had to pause and think about. And I'll tell you in a second why. You write, go for walks, eat well, get enough sleep, take breaks, meditate, get lost in me And then you follow that quote with, lean on others when you need them, be there for them when they need you. So two different quotes in one. But when the pandemic started, my wife and I would leave our small New York apartment and go for walks because sitting in the same apartment where we eat, sleep, and work was not good for us. And we ended up leaving New York and staying in a cabin in the woods for quite a while. And we felt very blessed we got to do that. And it was a very simple life in the woods, but we got to go outside and, and walk and enjoy. And it reminded me that work is important, but you as a human being, if you don't treat yourself well in the ways that you describe in this quote, walking, eating, sleeping, taking breaks, and meditating, it will catch up with you, and then everything else in your life will not do as well. And I like the second part, which goes back to connections, that you need others to lean on, and you have to be there for them to lean on you. Can you talk more about that? I really like that quote.
1: Yeah, I think really that is the only way to like truly deepen those connections, I think with other people. Like of course it's nice to have friends that you have fun with, that you drink at the pub with, or that you play games with and all those things. But it's it's not until I guess you hit the some kind of challenge or some kind of obstacle that you can really then deepen those interpersonal relationships. And it could be big or small, of course, but just being that having that sense of reliability having putting put making making yourself a little bit vulnerable putting yourself out there a little bit, asking for help is often a pretty hard thing to do. But then for the other person to reciprocate or for you to be the reciprocator, I guess, to um need, whether it's some kind of tangible action or whether it's just literally somewhere to rest on emotionally or just a, a friendly listening ear are all pretty important things to, to deepen those relationships.
0: What about those walks and what you eat and how you sleep? Where did this come from and why it's important?
1: Yeah, I suppose it's just those little things that, physically seem like they don't mean a whole lot in the bigger picture like it seems like why would you go for a 15 minute walk when you could do 15 minutes of extra work to to build your business or to grow your income or whatever it is but if you don't do that 15 minute walk all of a sudden you probably may not be able to do that 15 minute walk because it can creep up and you just those small things small little tiny habits every single day is going to contribute to a obviously much healthier lifestyle. It's going to give you better energy that you can reinvest back into your work later. If you get to the point of the health not being your focus, very suddenly, it may be your number one focus. It may be the only thing that you have to worry about. All of a sudden, if you have some kind of major health incident, everything else is going to fall away, of course, and that's going to be your only, your only focus to try and get that better. So if you can proactively preempt that, by doing some of these simple things, small things every single day, over the long run, you're going to be much better for it.
0: I had an, a rest expert, Alex, who shared with me that in those times when we walk away from the desk or from the work or whatever we're actually occupied with, those times our mind has a chance to catch up and that's where the inspiration comes from. And obviously, mm. we need rest to, to function properly. But he wrote a whole book about it and I don't know if you're familiar with one of the episodes we discussed it, but I thought it's really key, not in any profession, not just investing, but I think in life in general, to appreciate those moments and even the 15 minutes walking over. I remember as a kid having problems with some math exercises. And when I walked away, went to the park and I came back, my brain had a chance to come up <laughs> with yeah. yet another way to tackle it. And I think those lessons are as relevant later on when the problems are much bigger than some math exercise when you're 12.
1: Totally. Sometimes it's just like we're so tense, right? Like the brain is so clenched and tense and it's, if you're like too narrow focused and working on this one specific thing, can't see anything else. But as soon as you can release that a little bit, some extra ideas might float in the side that, that unlocks what you were trying to solve in the first place.
0: Maybe as powerful as that limitless pill that you're selling That's us it. at the beginning of the show. <laughs> That's it. There is a big theme in your book and in your book and in your podcast, you talk about passion, perseverance, grit. And in my mind, when I think of people that accomplish something and people that are still trying to accomplish something, this ability to keep on showing up, and sometimes it's not easy because the success still feels so far away. Can you talk about that perseverance, passion, grit, and many of your books that you discuss bring it up. And in your own book, you have a whole chapter about it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we want to do and achieve. The big things, they're all going to take time. Unfortunately, really, well, fortunately, it's not something that everybody could do because if everyone could do it, it wouldn't be so valuable to be one of the rare few that can do it. But of course, that means it's going to be tough to do, to set out to create a podcast and to have dozens or hundreds of episodes it takes a hell of a lot of work that's why there's a a term called pod fade a lot of podcasts get to six or seven episodes and then head to the podcast graveyard because it is bloody hard work so to be it does it's going to take a lot of those things the mixture of passion and perseverance to get through the tough time and keep pushing through to get to the other side where you have got that podcast of hundreds of episodes or writing a book you can't really write it in a day it's probably going to take weeks or months or in some cases years, and there's going to be many times throughout the journey where you want to throw in the towel and say, no, this is too hard, I give up. So it does take a lot of that that mixture of passion and perseverance to stick to it, to get to the side, the other side of actually having achieved it. They're probably smaller things, but over the longer term as well, if you think of a 50-year career, it's going to take a hell of a lot to, to keep the day-to-day stuff of pushing through, of having to convince someone of your ideas or having to do things that you don't necessarily agree with need to do in any way but then the longer term of setting strategies and visions and like constantly building and growing in your career like all these things are going to take a lot of this this cocktail mix of this passion this perseverance and this grit
0: i like that you describe podcasting because i think the better the product the less visible the work right if it's the quality Mm. is good the conversation flows you don't see the hours it took to prepare for the conversation right you don't see Absolutely. the time it took to to produce the episode, and I think it applies to all the work. And I'm thinking of a policeman: the less crime there is, the less there is to complain about, the better work is being done. But <laughs> right, so the better the work, the less it's visible. And it's I so think true. it's right. It's very. I like funny.
1: that because yeah, a dodgy policeman. There's going to be a lot of crime, isn't there? Right. And then so, you feel like, oh, this there's no crime in this city. It Must be so easy to be a policeman. But it's really the opposite, isn't it?
0: Do we need? Do we even need one? <laughs> exactly. That's the funny thing. And with investing, it's the same that if the client is not losing sleep over the investments, then you feel yeah. like, do we even need help? <laughs> exactly. Well, you're not losing sleep because somebody is doing exactly. the work. Exactly. So I suppose think like of that
1: for us as well. So I do a lot of marketing, whether it's freelance marketing for businesses as well. Like a lot of times when they're like, do we really need marketing? We're making sales. Like people know about us, that they're buying our product. But uh-huh. that's
0: because you did the marketing, right? It's Really interesting. The less visible the work, the more value it might be adding. So to whatever you do, I like that. So you write about different ways that we can contribute to the world, and I really thought about it because I feel like I'm of service to people, I'm of service to our clients. And you talk about two mindsets. One is the passion mindset, and the other one is what you call craftsman. The passion mindset, you focus on what the world can offer you, and craftsman mindset focus on what you can offer to the world. Can you talk about that? I really paused and thought about it really hard because we say follow your passion, mm. and you expect the world to give something back, but the craftsman mindset, I think, resonates even more with me. Can you talk about? Yeah,
1: that? yeah. There's obviously the idea of follow your passion is is good. You want to find something that you're passionate about, but the problem with that mindset of looking for your passion, finding your passion, hoping for one day with enough soul searching to stumble upon, yes, this is my passion. I found it. Mm. The problem with that is you're always you're gonna be focused on the negatives a lot of the time. If something doesn't feel quite right, it's like, oh this is it mustn't be my passion. I'll have to move on to the next thing. And then obviously that goes against the grit conversation that we just had just before this. But like the like constantly searching for your passion, you like hoping to find that click you're hoping to find that love at first sight meeting someone in a bar and it just clicks and it just works but unless you're in a Disney movie relationships don't often happen like that A lot of the time it builds over time and the more committed you get in a longer term relationship the more the more it feels right I guess the more pa- the more passion that you feel in that relationship as well So if you think about that from like a, a work or a side a side hobby type of sense you're probably not going to get the Disney. I love at first sight, click moment of, oh, fantastic, I just found my passion. The opposite approach is that the craftsman mindset, which is kind of like working really hard, trying to contribute something, trying to do something, and passion kind of builds over time. Passion is like a result of being good at something. Often, when you are good at something, you enjoy it more. When you suck at something, you don't enjoy it. And of course, whenever, whenever you do anything new, you're going to suck at it. So then by default, if you're trying new things and hoping to just find your passion, you're going to suck at it and you're not going to be passionate about it. Whereas if you can develop your skills, if you can hone your craft, if you can get better at it, if you can commit over time and get deeper into it and understand it a lot better, you might all of a sudden realize, hey, I'm actually pretty passionate about this thing.
0: I like that. Think about what you can offer the world. And even if it's hard at the beginning, the world might appreciate it in the long run, and you might have fun with it anyway.
1: I suppose like the be happy thing we spoke about earlier. Normally, we think if you find your passion, then you work hard and you get really good at it. But it's mm-hmm. actually the other way around. It's like if you work really hard and then you get good at it, all of a sudden you realize, as a side effect, you found your passion.
0: It's interesting because one of the things I picked up during the pandemic was surfing. And I'm mm. curious if you're a surfer. Are you a surfer?
1: Nah. The other Adam's a big surfer. I've been like two or three times in my whole life, and I'm not built for it. I'm.
0: I think I'm too tall and uncoordinated. That's what they told me, that I'm too tall. (laughs) I I stuck with it anyway. But it's been the most uh, humbling pursuit, at least in my adult life, to learn. It takes uh, so much time. And at the beginning, it's really hard. And you feel very discouraged how hard it can be just to Mm -hmm. get up on the board, to find the right wave, to balance, to (laughs) to even get out there and to stay on the wave. But I was thinking that it teaches you a lot of the same values qualities that you need as an investor patience discipline you wait for the right wave you don't chase every single wave you pace yourself and obviously you want to survive not just in, in terms of not killing yourself but not hurting yourself and it's like investing but I think learning a new skill at the beginning any skill or a new language or anything at the beginning you don't see the results and it's really mm-hmm. hard but I think a lot of those pursuits are worth it at the end and speaking of I want to talk about public speaking because you mentioned that it's one of the most valuable skills. I think you ha- you call it even the highest leverage skill you could learn. You get the benefit of what is known as the halo effect. When you see someone good at public speaking, you assume they must be good at a lot of other things too. And there's something about seeing somebody on stage sharing their experience, sharing their wisdom, and we immediately think We look up to them, but going up there and doing it ourselves, I've done it a few times and it's a work in progress. I keep learning. I did Toastmasters and I gave a TEDx and each time it's work. But (laughs) I'm curious about your perspective and it looks like we all should get better at public speaking.
1: Yeah, it's something that is super transferable across really all domains. Whatever skills like you've already got that you're already good at, if you can add public speaking on top of that all of a sudden you get to the top of your field if you think about i'm trying to think of an example of someone that stereotypically wouldn't need public speaking say if you think like a software coder that stereotypically they're in the dark dungeon just coding all through the night and you might think that they don't have to really deal with anybody but if you think about the most senior software coders they're not really coding software so much as managing other coders and in order to do that, you're obviously going to need to have that element of public speaking in there as well. I think that it's uh, the confidence, because it, it it's so scary mm. to have to stand up in front of a group. The confidence it, it brings to get good at that is going to then permeate across everything else that you do. And that idea of the halo effect that if we see someone who's good at public speaking, we just it's something that is pretty rare that we just think if they're good at this, they must be good at a whole bunch of other things. They must be really good at at getting their reports in on time they must be a really good friend they must be a really good at playing footy like whatever it is where it like permeates is like the one thing that you just see you see the metaphorical halo on top of, of someone who's speaking in public really confidently really charismatically and you, um, you automatically just assign to them some other aura of greatness so it's something that's that you may as well harness for yourself as well.
0: And at the same time, for some reason to most of us, it's one of the scariest thing we can do. I believe that Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, joked that people would rather be in the coffin than give a eulogy. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And I thought... It's a joke, but it's not a joke. It's, there's some truth it. <laughs> and Warren Buffett, the famous investor, he sits down every year in front of 50,000 people and answers questions. He doesn't know what kind of questions are coming. But mm-hmm. if you read stories of him at 15, 16, 17, 18, he was so afraid of public speaking that he would choose courses, classes, so that he doesn't have to have any assignment that will require any Mm -hmm. even the smallest public speaking in front of the class. And then he took Dale Carnegie's course and that changed his life. I'm guessing you're familiar with the story, but it's hard to imagine Warren Buffett being afraid of public speaking. And he also mentions that it really changed his life. He ended up teaching and, and pitching his investments to other people and obviously led him to a path he's on. Without public speaking, I don't think mm. he'd be where he is now. So the skills were very powerful and valuable, but without that ability to share it with others, I think we limit ourselves. Going back to what we started with, now, that's yeah.
1: You may not, and you may not have a specific reason right now. Your job may not demand it, or your business may not demand it. Whatever you're doing, like right now, you may not have an instant need to be really good at public speaking. But down the track, you almost certainly will, and yeah. it's going to be a lot easier to learn it now when you don't need it as opposed to when the time comes when you do need it and it's too late.
0: I was part of Toastmasters in New York for a while, and then they elected me to a board of one of those branches that they had in New York. And it was a wonderful experience meeting people from all kinds of fields, but also the exposure of speaking in front of a group every single Mm. week was a great experience. And I think it's like any skill. Like when you're working your muscle, if you don't use it, you lose it. And if you don't have too many opportunities to stand in front of a larger crowd, don't wait until your friend's wedding. <laughs> Start doing it now. Totally. And it can come in handy, both in social settings, events, but also in a professional setting. And can people might notice you, and it can open some doors that you never thought about before. I'd like to talk about lifestyle. And you mention lifestyle design, and you talk about the new rich in your book. And you describe the new rich, and you can mention which book this comes from. So, the new rich are those who abandon the deferred life plan of waiting until retirement before doing the things they want to do. And what we talked about briefly before, that most people believe that their most important currency is money. But you put, you mentioned how it's worth putting emphasis on time versus money. Can you talk more about it? It's a whole new school of thought. And I'm yeah, guessing the- you're, you're going to talk about Tim Ferriss
1: absolutely yeah the four-hour work with Tim Ferris really brought that idea of lifestyle design lifestyle design to the zeitgeist that the traditional path I guess is you start you work you retire but the problem is when you retire however old you are you're probably less physically able to do the things that you always wanted to do anyway whether you can't travel as far or you can't do the more physical things that you wanted to do or you just there's obviously going to be limits whereas Tim Ferris had the idea of you should take mini retirements scattered throughout. like Rather than having 60 years of work and then 30 years of retirement, you can scatter those 30 years out intermittently throughout, whether it's a couple of months off here or there or taking a a one or two-year sabbatical in time. To be able to do those things, you the bucket list things that by the time you're getting close to kicking the bucket, you may not be able to do. There's another newer book, Die With Zero. Have you checked out that one?
0: It's on my list. I like the title. Yeah. So, That's
1: It's like a similar idea. He talks about the metaphor of the, I think it's an Aesop's fable, the ant and the grasshopper, that the ant is spending all summer working hard to build up his pile of ant supplies. The grasshopper is spending all summer just jumping around, dancing, singing. And then when winter hits, the poor old grasshopper, I think he's in trouble because his mate, the ant, is hoarding all his food that he's prepared for the winter. So the I guess the intended message of that is like it's better to be the ant than the grasshopper because when winter comes, you want to have those supplies. You want to be prepared. But the author of Darwin Zero is saying the ant's got a boring life. Like he didn't enjoy summer at all. He was just working the whole time. Like you need to have a bit of a mix of both. Of course, you need to be prepared for winter, but you also need to have some fun during summer. So that's the idea as well of not just like saving, saving, working, and then you get to the end and you've got so much money that you can't even spend it all. It's the idea of let's spend... The whole point of saving that money is to enjoy the money that you've got right at the end. You should make some plans to, of course, take the ant path of being prepared for the time when
0: you're no longer working, but also
1: a bit of grasshopper in terms of having some fun along the way as well.
0: I had Carl Honoré who wrote The Praise of Slowness, and we talked about time and basically the inability to save time. So you can save $100 Mm -hmm. when you're in your 20s, it can grow to more, and you can spend that $100 multiple of that in your 80s but you can't save a year of your 20s and then spend that Mm -hmm. year of your 20s in your 80s i'm paraphrasing and and, uh, extrapolating what we talked about but that's how i look at it so uh, we think that time is money money is time it is and it's not because the year of your 20s when you can go backpacking through thailand you won't probably do it in your 80s you could but you it won't be the same experience so i think Having the right pace in life and enjoying the things that make sense at different points in mm-hmm. time matters as much as thinking about the long term. So, be an ant sometimes, be a grasshopper when it makes more sense. I think that's. I that's think you'll. The-
1: I think you'll enjoy Die with Zero. It's in, I'm seeing a bit of a trend, obviously, in a lot of the mm-hmm. conversations you are having. But maybe he's maybe he's preaching to the choir. Maybe you already know it all. But I think there's some really good ideas in that book as well that was released after we did our book. And if we'll have to get it in future somehow, cause it, there's some really good ideas in there.
0: But good ideas are worth hearing many times over. That's how I look at it. So I'm definitely picking it up and reading. That's the problem with your podcast. The more I listen to it, the more books I have to read. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we're the same because every book we read references two or three other great books.
0: And so the list just grows exponentially. And you want to go to the source. You want to. <laughs> That's right. We're the, the, more original.
1: Did, the more we read, the more we
0: buy new books. Exactly. I have a few more questions for you, but one that I really want to ask you is something that you mentioned about this. I see it as starting small, but let me me read the quote and you tell me what you thought of when you wrote it. Once you have something, it's easier to get more of it. If you don't have much of something, you're going to struggle to get ahead. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, but it's not just money that I'm thinking about. Mm. And In investing, we say that you have to start saving, you have to start investing. And the best time to start was 20 years ago. And and the second best time is now, which is a Chinese proverb, but it's as true whenever it came about as it is now. And I think there's something about it that just starting even very small matter. Tell me more what was behind that quote. I found it really eye-opening, refreshing, and it made me pause.
1: Yeah, obviously, like in a obviously in a money sense, in order to invest, you need to have those savings. And in order to have those savings, then at some point, you need to spend less than you want. But it's also then the being able to do that once is good, but being able to do that repeatedly is obviously going to be a lot better. So the once you've done it once, it's going to be easier to do it. So that's the idea of once you start saving and get a bit of a system or a habit in place, it's going to be easier to keep saving compared to the person who's always just spending exactly what they earn and can never really get their nose in front. But then as you say, that kind of applies to all sorts of other things as well, whether that's time, finding, oh, I'm too busy, I don't have time to exercise. But if you can book out one afternoon, a Thursday afternoon, you go for a swim or even on a, a Sunday morning, you do a short jog or whatever it is. If you can find that time once and then you can start to then, I guess, again, save that time or invest that time in, in, in physical exercise to get better at at your time management as well. And I'm sure we could think of many more applications or examples of this where just like starting small can really unlock something big. It's like the, building a, the snowball as, a, as it goes down the hill. It always starts as something really small before it compounds into something a lot bigger.
0: I'm thinking of habits and, and James Clear, obviously is one of the, the big experts in the area. But if you want to include something in your life, it's we always want to do it quick, We want to lose weight in five days. We want to learn a language in seven weeks. We want... Carl Honoré even jokes that people want to slow down fast. They want to have a quick plan how to slow Slow down down their (laughs) life. And people actually ask him, how do I do it fast? And he says, the whole idea is to go slower. But I think it's really interesting about including a new habit in your life. And sometimes it pays to make it as easy as possible. What's a sustainable Mm. level, right? So reading a page a day. But at least you open a book or learning five new words in a language you want to be able to speak, right? So flipping it on its head, instead of doing it in five days or seven weeks, thinking of what's the smallest amount of progress Mm -hmm. I can make each day? And that's the biggest lesson for me in terms of any book that I read about habits, including James Clear's book. What's the smallest progress? And it, it goes back to saving and investing. What's the smallest amount that you can part with? Put a let it sit every month. Even if it's $10, at least you created a habit. So no matter how small it is, you have somewhere to start. That's why this quote really love it resonated with me. I want to talk about writing. And you have another great quote in your book. Your book is so dense and, and I had to slow down and go and think about... You guys are saying something really powerful here. You have a quote that says, writing was one of the most critical developments in our history the ideas of previous generations could now be communicated to all those that come after their death. Knowledge is power. And our knowledge has grown exponentially as we've increased our ability to learn from history's lessons. You remember that quote? I do now. But you guys wrote one book. Then you wrote a second book. And I'm curious to hear about the second book. But let's talk about the power of writing. You guys are reading all the time, clear as many of my listeners and as do I. But Tell me more about writing, the experience of writing. Share with us a little bit more about the second book that's already a bestseller.
1: Yeah, I think that obviously like reading, we're learning so much. There's so many, as we said at the start, there's so many great ideas out there. There's so many great authors that in all different areas, whatever problem you're facing right now, there's some expert who's solved it and has got the answer for you in a book somewhere. And then reading's great to tap into that. And for us, reading hundreds of books, there's like a big web of like information but then it's the writing that kind of connects that all together like taking this project and like structuring it up grouping the 115 chapters into 32 lessons across nine different building that the scaffolding i guess or building the different layers of the structure really gets everything to stick the we've been saying how there's a lot of ideas that pop up all over the place in different areas and different ideas that can apply to different walks of life by doing the writing bringing them all together thinking deeply about them all really takes the the knowledge that's in our brain somewhere and really makes it stick it's like the bricks and the mortar like a whole bunch of bricks stacked together can topple over pretty easily but by connecting them with that mortar that's going to make a nice solid foundation and and yeah sorry go on
0: and now i'm curious to hear about the second book so what's that one about
1: yeah so the first book the shit they never told you was like very broad very wide we went really took the whole landscape of this whole sort of reading journey, personal development journey that we've been on. And as I mentioned, across personal development, career, business, marketing, personal finances, philosophy, psychology. I don't even remember all nine of them. I normally get to six or seven and then forget what else was in there. But there was so much stuff in there. The new book is, as opposed to going wide and broad, this is like going very narrow and deep. So we picked one specific area it's called attitude and we talk about the best lesson that we'd read in all these books about things like mindset and attitude so we've the lessons were vision change learning fear and boldness and so we realized that from a lot of these successful people that we've been reading their biographies about or reading books that talk about successful people whether they were ceos whether they were famous investors whether they were musicians whether they were artists whether they were entrepreneurs politicians or like What's what kind of connects all these different people? What do they have in common? Or were they born? We talked about the lotteries before. Did they win the birth lottery? Do they have rich, successful parents? And they are starting the race of life 10 meters ahead of everybody else that their success was inevitable. But the more we looked into it, the more it was like, not really. They all had their own unique obstacles and challenges. Um, It wasn't that everything was just handed to them and success was inevitable. Really, the only thing they had in common was their attitude. And so- it was really a process of trying to dissect what are the things that these people do and hence what are the things that everybody can do to take and apply to their own outlook on life
0: that's going to make it okay. more inevitable. One big profound idea, but that can change people's lives. And I'm looking forward to reading that book and like the idea and the description that the first one, it's so much, you're going so far and here you're focusing on one, maybe one of the most important things that can help people get started on a path. And speaking of that, one, one of the last questions I have for you is about taking the action. And in your book, you say, take action to benefit from randomness. I like the idea of whether you call it serendipity or synchronicity or flow or gravitational pull, whatever you want to call it. But once you start with an action and you're already smiling, so you have some thoughts about mm-hmm. it. Once you start with an action, things start to happen. You guys started with the podcast and I think it took you on a journey that you might have not even expected. And two books <laughs> followed and I'm sure a lot of friendships and connections and all that. Maybe one single advice for the audience, but take action. Let's talk about that. How important that is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like it's we in the new book, Attitude, we talk about vision as being the first step. Vision, having a bit of an idea about what you want to do, thinking about it, wishing it, dreaming, hoping. All these things are good. Visualizing, but it's not really until you take action that anything actually happens there's for i feel like that's the key is just like trying a whole bunch of things we the tag like when we we're doing podcast interviews two years ago for the launch of the book like our main tagline i guess was read books and do shit like read books is super important to learn lessons to experience new things to tap into the works of geniuses that have come before us and give us new ideas but then really the do shit part of it is when you then that's where the rubber meets the road that's where things start to happen that's when you stop just learning and start actually doing i suppose like for me like personal examples of i tried a whole bunch of stuff when i was younger like i wrote a book in like maybe 2015 or 2014 interviewed a whole bunch of entrepreneurs and put their stories together into a book it was fine. admittedly it wasn't amazing if i was to do it again now i'd do it very differently but at the time of course it was great it was specifically Aimed at like school students as well, so I, even now, like today, people who, I'm still crossing paths with it. That say they read this book, you know, five or six years ago, and learnt a lot from it. But then, because of doing that, it's obviously led to writing more books now. It even led to a ghostwriting project where a company wanted to go through their entire like it was a sixth generation family business. They talked about their great-grandparents emigrating from Europe to Australia and starting up this business and then it had been handed down through the generations and the patriarch of the family was a was an only child who was whose son was an only child, whose dad was an only child, and he was coming towards the end of his life and he was I've got all these stories of this entire family company history and it dies with me in a sense. And he wanted to get the stories out before that. And through a whole random, serendipitous Sort of discovery, I guess they found me as the the guy who'd written this book five years earlier about these entrepreneurs, and I had the proof in the pudding. If they uh-huh. put up a, a job ad on, a, and I could say, "Hey, I can probably do." This. It's very different to actually them finding me because I'd done this book five years earlier, and I had the proof that I could actually do this thing. And so it led to that. It was like a, it was a pretty big, like twelve, fifteen month project to to pull together 150 years of history for both the family side, but also the business side. And it was a big project that only came about because of something I'd done serendipitously five or seven years earlier,
0: because I'd taken the action to actually do it, not just think about it. Adam, I can't tell you how much I love what I'm hearing. And I'll tell you why. So, you know that we manage money for families. And I wrote a book, Money Life Family, a few years ago, where I I researched successful families that got their wealth over generations, all kinds of stories. And the big powerful lesson, many of them was that keeping those stories alive, Mm. help families stay together, that you share something and the story, whether it's Australia or America, immigrants coming to a new country and starting fresh with very little or nothing and building something, the stories, the ownership of those stories can help a family see it see its Mm. shared identity and then continue and perpetuate the success it's much more than money or business it's also a family story so you've done an incredible service to this family that you helped them record it Mm -hmm. and share it for the benefit of the future yeah future generations somebody might be reading what you helped 200 years from now and tear up and think about it so you left the mark and it's beautiful i love I mean, it
1: i think probably the important bit about it, that taking action like i didn't write the book five years earlier with the intention of then getting a paid job five years later you can't really plan for it like that you gotta take the action now and then be open to the randomness and the serendipity that may come down the track
0: the secret sauce here and you talk about it, you write about it too is to i would call it to give people a chance to find you and if you leave mm. that kind of trail out there whether it's writing or speaking, or podcasting, or books. People get to find you and see how you can find that connection and maybe create something together. And I think it puts us in a very vulnerable place. You and I talking about some topics today and that hit close to home, and then some of them are very intimate. It puts us in a very vulnerable position, but somebody listening might get inspired and reach out to either of the two of us. And it can lead to a moment of synchronicity of some sort where somebody could see yes. and oh adam has written a book like this mm-hmm. see this is a story i didn't know before we got <laughs> talking and you never know where this will take you adam i could keep you here all night but i have one last question and then one last question and then you can go to bed and i can uh, get mm-hmm. started with my day since we have a th- i think 13 hour time <laughs> difference but i want to ask you about your definition of success and is it a journey is it a destination how do you know you're on the right track I'm very curious where you'll take this question.
1: Yeah, it was a good challenge and I'm glad that you sent me through a couple of days ago so I could think about it because I'm sure on the fly I'd I'd give a poor answer, but I'm sure even in the days and weeks and months ahead, my answer will change many times. The best thing I could come up with right now in terms of a definition of success, I think is being able to have the control to choose. And I don't know if that's, I feel like I can still workshop that a little bit, but it probably ties together a lot of the things that we've spoken about so far. Like in order to get the control, you need to have done the work. You need to have built up some kind of career cap through the grit, the hard work, the passion, the perseverance to have got yourself to a point where you're like established in whatever it is you do, whether it's financially, in terms of your reputation, whatever it is, having that there. Because having that capital control then allows you to choose your path, to go for that third bucket, go for those connections, as opposed to the lifestyle design as well. Like All these things that we've spoken about seems to be tying together at the end here. For me, I think the thing is like getting the control to be able to choose, working hard to get yourself to a position where then you can then choose the option or the lifestyle that you want. Would you call it freedom? Yeah, I think so, yeah.
0: Freedom to choose? Absolutely. Yeah, I can relate to that. And it's the ingredients to it are it's both money, Absolutely. it's time, it's skill, it's the right people, it's the connections that you have. It's a whole, many pieces of the puzzle that come together that allow you to make free choices of what do you want to do? And reading all yeah. the books that you guys have read, I'm sure you have a thousand ideas. And I'm really curious where you guys take it and you personally, yeah. where are you are going to be 5, 10, 20 years from now? I hope I get to keep track of I'm you. Curious. And keep up with your new endeavors but congrats on the podcast congrats on the first book and congrats on attitude the last book it's coming out i think by the time this episode airs it will be live on amazon everywhere else so wonderful books wonderful podcast adam thank you so much for today it was such a treat talking to you and learning more from you so thank you again
1: same to you i'm glad uh, i'm glad we're able to connect i'm glad we have had this nice conversation and i'm sure it won't be the last either.
0: no i'll have you back again and we'll talk some more but mm-hmm. for today Thank you again. Have a good night's sleep. Thank you. You were listening to Talking Billions. We talk about big ideas, big inspirations, big topics. We take on the hardest subject of all, money. But our conversations lead us to an even bigger question. What it means to live a rich life beyond money. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and follow, subscribe, rate, and share with friends and family. We rely on word of mouth to promote the show. One click for you means the world to us. Thank you. Until next time, your host, Bogomil Baranoski. The content of this podcast is for general informational purposes only. And so are the opinions of members of Seacard Associates, a registered investment advisor, and guests of the show. This podcast does not constitute a recommendation to buy or sell any specific security or financial instruments or provide investment advice or service. Past performance is not indicative of future results. More information on Seacard Associates is available in its Form ADV disclosure documents available at advisorinfo.sec.gov.